Welcome to another episode of Bush School Uncorked. Um, today I'm with two former students again. I'm your host as always, Justin Bullock. We're without Greg Galls today, so you'll be listening mostly to me directing the show today. Um, but we're uh, lucky to have two guests with us that are former students, and I'm going to let them introduce or ask that they introduce themselves, and we'll start with uh, uh, Mitra. And uh, just tell us uh, your name and um, yeah, what year you graduated from the Bush School, and then we'll go from there. Mitra, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Bullock, for having us today. Um, this is Mitra Mehran. I did my master's um, in Bush School. I did pu public policy analysis. Uh, my two years in the United States was a wonderful experience, but um, professionally, personally, and academically. Um, currently, um, I am in Kabul and working as a consultant with UNDP um, and also as a researcher um, with a think tank called NCDP, National Center for Peace and uh, Progress and Dialogue. And the same. And thank you for coming to time. Uh, my name is Bashir Ahmed Basim. I did my undergrad with the American University of Afghanistan, and later on I got a Fulbright scholarship, and I joined Bush School where I did my master's in public service administration. Dr. Bullock was my advisor there, and um, I had the two years, the quality two years uh, at the Bush School with the faculty, students, and everything. That's where I felt, and I knew what peace is. So it was a great moment and a great time I had there. It was, uh, I miss both of you being here. Um, Basim's been gone a little bit longer than Mitra, um, but I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with both of them in both formal and informal advising roles and in class. And uh, it was a pleasure having you both here and I, I miss you both being around. So um, let's start uh, Let's start with Mitra, and Mitra, just tell us a little bit more about your journey to the Bush School and how you uh, ended up here from your homeland, and uh, what, what does that journey look like for you? Um, after I did my, my bachelor um, at the American University of Afghanistan, I started working with different um, organizations. Um, mainly focusing on women empowerment and civic engagement and civic uh, education. Um, and I started writing for some uh, national and international outlet for two and, um, two and a half years um, in Kabul. Um, then there was an opportunity for me um, to, to pursue my uh, master's um, in the United States through Fulbright program. Uh, Fulbright is a, a U.S. government scholarship. Um, and it's one of the most prestigious scholarships, but very competitive. Um, I luckily got in um, and came to Bush School um, for three years. It was a really um, rich experience for me. Um, I came mid-2016. There was election. I wear a scarf. Um, so it, I had a lot of dilemmas in my mind um, that was going to happen, how people are going to treat me, um, and how I'm going to fit that culture. So I had a lot of things in my mind about Texas too, um, um, and, and, and all. Uh, but then uh, personally, everyone was very friendly, um, and you and everyone in the administration, my professors, my classmates, um, they, they, they helped me to fit the culture very well. And, and, I, and, I, and it was a learning process. At the same time, academically, I, I learned my classes was um, very, um, helpful. I, that helped me to come back to Afghanistan and now um, 
contribute um, in a lot of areas that I think um, I can be helpful for a country um, still in conflict and um, for where women can, um, there is a lot of areas to work for women. Um, so uh, yes, it was it was a learning process. Um, even I came, I, I had this mindset that I'm going to a very conservative um, um, place uh, in South of America. Um, we are, but then it was it was not true. What I had, it, it all changed when I got there because um, Bush School was very diverse, and it respected um, everyone's value regardless of which religion, which country. Or, which you know background they come from so it was a very uh, good experience personally for me very nice i'm going to come back to you in a moment and i want to talk about uh some of the work you're currently doing a little bit more about what your day-to-day uh, -day looks like with your current job and uh mm -hmm. so be prepared for that i'll come back to you in a moment basim tell us a little bit about your journey to uh to the bush school a little bit more details for us um, first, again, I did my bachelor's in political science at the American University of Afghanistan, where Mitra was my classmate there. Ah. And yeah, so long time, long friendship, you know, many years we know each other. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, I was working with the government of Afghanistan Interior, and later I joined the Ministry of National Defense, where I worked as a senior human resources advisor. At the same time, when I graduated from American University, so Fulbright was a good opportunity. Me to explain that's a very prestigious scholarship. So we, I applied, and then I got selected with the Bush School. I had an interview on that time, and um, coming back to the Bush School, the first time I got to A and M was very interesting. Let me tell you a short story. I got to A and M, and I was asking for the Bush School bus stop. So a girl asked me that. Where do you want to go? I said, Bush School. And she took me to the bus stop, and then she realized that I'm new here. So she jumped into the bus and took me to the when the Bush School stop, stop came there. So she told me, this is Bush School. And she returned and asked her, why did you come? And, and she said, you will understand this, this is an Aggie stuff. So yeah. that was a good memory. Yeah. And the same, I, I, I helped so many other people the same way that I was in Aggie. Uh, very friendly. Uh, though I spent a month in New York at Syracuse University where I did my pre academy, and then I did a lot of shopping there. When I got to the British school, none of them were useful for me. Everybody was formal, uh, very mature uh, students, and uh, a different environment. So uh, it was a very good experience, very friendly environment. The professors, uh, they were always there to help. and. And, and, and um, at the same time, uh, my whole experience was human resources management for like almost eight, ten years. I worked in human resources, but what I, what the Bush School did, changed my field, changed my mind. Um, I found the school focused on security studies. Though I did my master's in public service administration, so I applied. I did a concentration with international affairs on security and intelligence studies, and another concentration with the in, in public administration in homeland security policy and management uh, so that changed the whole uh, uh, my field you know and uh, so I stopped thinking of human resources management so I got back into thinking of security terrorism uh, homeland security and these stuff yeah very good so I'm also to give you the warning I'm going to come back to you and I want to hear more about the work you're doing now I'm going to touch back in with Mitra and then uh, Let's hear a little bit about your work, and then I want to shift to uh, one of the 
issues at hand going uh, in the news in your country and talk about the uh, about the peace plan. But before we get there, Mitra, tell us, I know you gave us the title, but tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing now since you since you left Bush School. So since I left uh, Bush School, I did some consultancy uh, with the World Bank. We did a, an assessment of uh, women uh, engineers in the power sector. It was an interesting thing to see how much how many women um, are really in the in the STEAM majors um, and and why they're not actually comfortable or how the working environment is not um, not um, good uh, for women to to work in very technical areas in Afghanistan. Um, and then I moved to UNDP. Currently, um, I am working on sustainable development goals. Um, uh, but as a consultant, I'm working with the Afghan government um, to, to provide them with technical support. We make sure that the um, uh, sustainable development goals of the United Nations are um, integrated within um, the uh, and aligned with the policy and progress of um, Afghan government to make sure we can track the progress um, in that 17 uh, goals we have. Um, but at the same time, I'm working with uh, another um, thing called uh, National Center for Dialogue and Progress. We are we mainly focusing on peace um, and security, um, and we do research and stuff. As a fellow part-time, I try to, um, you know, be there. But what makes my day, uh, that's my full-time official work. Uh, but then, as you said before, peace process is going on, and then we are really worried, worried and concerned concerned about the process and how it goes. Um, there are a lot of areas we are not clear about it and there are confusions. So um, I spent a lot of my time uh, after work um, reading about it or meeting um, some group of people that we are trying to share our ideas and see what we can do um, about it. Um, that's, that's basically what, do, uh, what I am busy with these days. Very good. Well, I'm going to want to hear uh, more about your some of your role in the discussions and some of your thoughts about uh, about the peace uh, about the peace process. Um, so hold those. Uh, they sound like they were on the tip of your tongue. So hold on to those because I want to hear more about them. And uh, and Basim, tell us a little bit more about sort of the work you're you're doing now. I mean, we uh, kind of walked us through the title, but tell us a little bit more about what your uh, what your day to day looks like and what type of work you're doing these days. So, so when I graduated from the first school, when I returned back home, so I got the opportunity to work as a senior policy analyst with the Independent Directorate for Local Governance. Uh, this is an entity uh, created in 2007 to take care of the local governance, uh, focusing on the good, good governance, you know. Mm -hmm. um, on a daily basis, I do studies and research on different stuff that is assigned by my boss, who is the Deputy Minister for Policy and Technical Affairs about um, security issues uh, sometimes linked with the local governance and at the same time my main responsibility at the moment is supervising the programs uh, the off-budget programs uh, implemented by different donors and uh, since I joined the program with the assistance of other colleagues that I had we tried to align these programs within the priorities of the organization so each of them were working on, a, on an ad hoc basis you know uh, introducing different mechanisms for different stuff 
and the, we try to identify our priorities, what, what is uh, the IDG's priorities, and then based on those, I organized and uh, worked with each of these programs supported by different donors like USAID, UNDP, uh, and DFED, um, which is funded from UK. So mostly I'm busy with these programs and doing busy with writing uh, based on their requests on different aspects and, and needs of local governments. Excellent. So you are both out there doing research after you spent your time here. That makes your professor very happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, one of the main reasons for getting together, other than highlighting two wonderful students, is uh, U.S. government is currently playing a role in uh, in Afghanistan still um, and and more recently hasn't started engaging in some uh, peace talks and Mitra actually reached out to me and said we have to talk about this there's a lot going on so I'm gonna start with her and maybe Mitra for the listeners you could give a little bit of uh, context for what's going on we don't have to go into a ton of details uh, as there's a whole rich history of your country um, but maybe more short-term, kind of, where are we, and why, why are we having peace talks now, and who are the actors, broadly, who are involved? Maybe just give us a broad overview of, of where we are and what's going on. And then, Basim, I'll give you a chance to jump in as well, in case uh, there's parts of it that um, you see a little bit differently or think about a little bit differently. Uh-huh. Um, so everyone knows that beyond 2011, um, 9/11, uh, when, after 9-11 happened in, um, in the United States, um, um, unfortunately the attacks was designed um, from Afghanistan by terrorist groups um, called up. that was back then in Afghanistan and still uh, most of them are active unfortunately today. Uh, U.S. intervened in Afghanistan with its um, with SNAP, with NATO forces and other international allies, top of the Taliban, and beyond that, um, one of the values um, that um, since then um, U.S. Um, is advocating for is women's right, democracy, freedom of speech, and all. And we together worked for that for the past 17 years. Um, we, our soldiers, both Americans and Afghans and other um, NATO soldiers, we had a lot of sacrifices, so there is a lot of progress. For example, now I can walk, um, anywhere I want to as a woman, I can go to school. All the schools were banned for, for girls um, back then. Women couldn't walk really on the streets, they had to be accompanied by a man. Um, they couldn't go to school. Um, and then there was no freedom. It was a, the, the worst um, type of regime you could ever imagine. Um, but then in the past 17 years, there is a lot um, um, have happened um, and, and there is a lot of progress in development. So what's happening now is um, uh, President Trump, uh, one of its policies is uh, want to, uh, you know, um, finish or uh, put an end to um, two years prisons in Afghanistan, not uh, fully, but then they, there is a lot of peace, um, they call it peace process negotiation and uh, going on with the Taliban, um, but then what makes us concerned is we are not involved in the process as, as much as we should be. So the part is it's mainly a Taliban and the U.S. government. Uh, Mr. Khalilzad is U.S. representative for peace talks. Uh, they mainly talk with Taliban um, in Doha or Qatar. Um, um, 
they had their last meeting in Qatar and he is going to have another meeting with them um, next week. Um, so in the last one, they, they talked, uh, they had the negotiations with Taliban for six, uh, for six uh, days. And then uh, we heard they came um, with some agreements and stuff. Um, unfortunately, they didn't share it with us, with anyone in Afghanistan. Um, and then, so what we as a, we, we call ourselves the new generation. So for the new generation of Afghanistan, we have a different definition, and that is, um, uh, it's not uh, an, uh, it's not about the age, but it's about the values we have, uh, like respecting minorities or religious minorities' rights, respecting women's rights, have the freedom of speech, have the freedom of um, uh, media. Um, so these are all important things, and also our institutions, our constitution. Um, that we want, uh, we yes, for us peace is very important. I want peace. Everyone in here wants peace. But the thing is, we need to make sure um, everything is clear. We talk about every detail with the Taliban if we want to reintegrate them into our state. Um, so how it should, how it should be. Um, and then, so it's as a woman, I wrote it in my Twitter too that we should be on the table with Taliban. We should talk. So if they are saying. And there was another talk in Moscow. Uh, we are some of the political. Uh, so it's a Taliban thing. For example, we will protect the women's rights uh, within Islamic uh, framework. But then Islamic framework definition is very different for me or my friends than it's for them. Their definition of Islamic uh, Islamic laws was you know slashing women on the street stoning them, making sure they don't go to school, and then limiting their life within their houses. So that's that's our concern, and um, and I think it should be respected um, by the U.S. government. Uh, you are our allies; we respect you, and I appreciate and I and I have the gratitude uh, for all the things um, U.S. government has done for us for in all these years. Um, but then the thing is. Let's not sacrifice everything we did together. We should make sure everyone is on the table. We should make sure as a sovereign state we are respected. Um, I mean, how Mr. Khalilzad, an, um, an Afghan-American, um, uh, an American, <laughs> um, can talk with Taliban and, and bring them here, give them the government, and not ask me what I want because I will suffer the consequences of what will come after that. So it's very important that um, government officials who are part of this process make sure our state, our people are respected and they are um, part of the process and it's an inclusive process. And it sounds like one of the one of the big frustrations isn't even kind of thinking about the outcomes just yet. I'm sure you have preferred outcomes over others and. Uh, probably have some thoughts about the role the U.S. should or shouldn't continue to play, which we could we will get to. But the real issue, and then I'm going to throw this to Basim to see if he views it similarly or differently. You know, um, it's just that the the Afghan people and the Afghan government should be part of the conversations. Maybe having Taliban as part of it is necessary as well to help ensure peace. But certainly. Uh, you would have an argument or a strong argument for the actual uh, the government that's been elected by the people should have a role in these conversations and a significant role 
in ensuring that as whatever the peace process looks like, if the U.S. is committed to withdrawal, that there are at least the relevant, you know, stakeholders and players at the table rather than mostly just negotiating with, uh, with the Taliban. Is that, that kind of a fair uh, summary? Um, yes. Yes. Is going to talk or? I don't yeah, yeah, I'm going to let Basim and I just wanted to make sure I was summarizing kind of your, your thoughts correctly. Okay, okay. Basim, jump in, sir. Uh, I think, uh, uh, again, as Mitra said, uh, post-2001, I again want to be thankful to the, to the international community, uh, especially the United States and the NATO forces. Uh, where we are is uh, because of the international community and our own sacrifices at the same time. So uh, coming back to the peace talks, uh, as Mitra said, the peace talks started between the U.S. and the Taliban even since June 2018. And uh, since the peace negotiation has been started between the U.S. and the Taliban, I think the Taliban shows an upper hand in these talks and running the show uh, based on their own conditions at the moment. And most of the people in I met think that the U.S. is imposing the Taliban on us without looking at its consequences. And especially the new use of withdrawal from the Taliban and leveraging these talks. Uh, for example, they are not ready to negotiate with the government as Mitra. I say, uh, and these talks and news of uh, uh, U.S. Uh, the talk between the U.S. and the Taliban has bypassed the government of Afghanistan. Not only the government, but also my generation, the voice of the people. They bypassed, and um, from a security perspective, I, I think a sudden withdrawal of U.S. Will also give a sense of victory to the Taliban. There were those; uh, their leaders were those who fought with the Soviet Union. They believe that. Uh, they defeated the Soviet Union superpower. So uh, I think it will have bad consequences. And and the talks only took place between the United States and Taliban at the moment. And nothing has been shared, not much has been shared with the Afghan people on those talks. Uh, there were a few things that they had uh, discussed, like the Afghan uh, state will not be used by the Taliban against uh, the Terrorists or the ter territory will not be used against the United States and other allies. Um, a ceasefire, a quick ceasefire, was discussed at the same time, and and the special envoy of the U.S. said that they have discussed that the Taliban should negotiate back with the Afghan government. Uh, nothing was agreed. The Taliban asked uh, that they will return back to their leadership and they will talk to their leadership and will get back. And the next meeting is on 25th of February uh, between the U.S. and the Taliban. So your sense is similar in that the Afghan government and uh, Afghan people in general are being left out of this process in favor of discussions directly with the Taliban. I mean, is that sort of your general sense as well? Go ahead, Mitra. Okay. Uh, what bothers me the most in this process is to, there are three things um, that we need to make sure um, to consider. It. The first thing is um, if it goes like this, that they – uh, come to an agreement without inclusion of our state and our, our people, then it's very hard to make sure um, it's going to sustain. Uh, I mean, the sustainability of the what we get out of this process um, is in question if, um, if, if it's not inclusive. I mean, Afghanistan is a country most of people live in, look, um, in rural areas. Um, and then you, even if, um, if, the, if our um, American partners believe that they can convince few, some of the 
leaders of the political parties that um, in Afghanistan, unfortunately, they do not have uh, that much base in the, in the maybe local areas, then it's hard to make sure it's going to be sustainable. The second thing is United States government um, should realize that they are terrorist groups and they are giving them legitimacy more than they should receive. Um, over our state and our government. Yes, I personally have a lot of problem with our government, but we need to differentiate between government and the state. We, we should not sacrifice um, all the institutions that U.S. Um, and our international allies built for us. Um, we built it together in the past 17 years to sacrifice it for a terrorist group. Uh, there are some reports um, that Taliban um, occupy more than 70%, more than 50% of um, Afghanistan. But then I want to remind um, everyone who rely on that news is that Taliban do not occupy or do not have control over a single city in Afghanistan. I mean, they don't have the support of the people. Yeah, they are on the mountains, and Afghanistan is a mountainous country. It doesn't, I mean, four people in, um, in uh, Five people or ten people or hundred people are fighting in mountains, but they but they have not been able to come to cities because people do not um, do not accept it. So we need to make sure that just do not rely how much land they occupy, but we need to make sure how much they have control um, over areas that actually people are living. Um, and then the third thing is. If you uh, think, okay, let's get to an agreement with the uh, Taliban, just take them to Afghanistan and then tell the people, hey, here we brought the Taliban for you, and then they leave. How are they going to guarantee how, or make sure that the Taliban will be accountable for them, that they will not do what they did in the 90s, right? How, can, how, how you will um, ensure it? So that's why, I, I, but what uh, bothers me the most is, um, I mean, when U.S. intervened in Afghanistan, we had a lot of um, European countries still, their soldiers are fighting here, we receive a lot of help from them, but then in that negotiation, they are not represented either. There is one person making the decision for us, and that's representative of U.S. government. Um, and, and I say this, uh, the people who hear me now, is um, all the values that I grew up with, if it's accountability, if it's democracy, um, if it's you know sovereignty. Um, I studied at American University. I came for my master's in the US. So these values are, I think, what US advocate for. And then now it's time to respect it. Because uh, if taxpayers um, hear me, you have spent a lot of taxpayers' money here. You have sacrificed a lot of soldiers. You came here because, because of the Taliban, the terrorist groups, but now you are just giving them too much legitimacy and totally, not you, but the government, and totally ignoring us, which is, um, which is a disrespect for our soldiers and disrespect for, the, for your soldiers who fought for those values. Um, in the last uh, four years, we lost 45,000 Afghans, Afghan soldiers only, not counting the civilians. That's not, that's a harsh reality. That's not only numbers. So that really frustrates me that we are just ignoring everything. And then um, with all the respect, Mr. Khalilzad is taking it like a project to finish it. It's about the 
this destiny of millions of people living in this country and we need we got to make sure we don't go back tonight yeah i um so one of the i um one of the things that i've heard people in the us talking about that it's that it's time for withdrawal right a lot of people are sympathetic towards this cause of the us has been um actively engaged in afghanistan um for what 17 years now and so one of the things i hear um from folks in the us is that you know it's time and one of the interesting things i hear you saying and correct me if i'm wrong is you know you're not even here making an argument that the us should stay and should con- should consider should continue to uh, to be there, even though that that might be a preference, the argument you're really making today is, look, we've made all of this progress working together. You're, you and Basim are examples of this, but maybe even more so you as a woman uh, exemplifies some of the progress um, that's been made fighting back against the Taliban by the U.S. and the Afghan people. And so if the U.S. is is insistent on leaving and is insistent on not playing a role on the ground as much, at a very minimum, you would want to do what they could to ensure the stability of the government on their way out rather than working to legitimize the, um, you know, the force that they in part were fighting against from day one when they showed up. And uh-huh. so, you know, while there might be some benefits, you know, we can argue or discuss about the benefits of staying or leaving. Uh, I don't think there's a strong will from the U.S. people to stay anymore. And so if that is true, then, you know, we should at least be clever about how we choose our exit and facilitating peace on the way out rather than choosing a strategy that is uh, that lowers that likelihood and empowers people who want to take away the freedoms that Americans believe in and that in part Americans were in Afghanistan to help to help promote. And this particular strategy seems to really fly in the face of those of those goals. I mean, is that kind of where your head is? Um, exactly. Um, I, I, I respect um, U.S. people's concerns. Withdrawal is, um, is something that should happen in the long run. We cannot expect U.S. soldiers to fight for us. And then they still, what international forces in Afghanistan um, help us with these days, beyond 2014, is more training, giving training to our soldiers. It's, it's Afghan soldiers fighting the, on the first lines. What I am saying is, why lash? You know, what I am saying is, why giving too much legitimacy to a terrorist group that you don't know what they're going to do? What I am saying is, let's make this process inclusive. Let's make sure to not bring a Talibanism regime beyond these, uh, these uh, negotiations. What I'm saying is let's keep our institutions, let's, make, let's ensure our state is safe. We can, let's talk how we can reintegrate them within the institutions we have today, you know? So yes, I don't like war, I, uh, um, I, I want peace, but then my question is not that you should stay here and fight for us, my question is, how we lead this process, how we make sure that, the, that what we built together, that the progress that have been made here since 2011 are protected beyond the negotiation. And that's only possible if the process is inclusive, if the process makes sure that not only 
our voices are heard there, that not only we are clear with the Taliban about uh, democratic values, human rights values, that's not, that's not an Afghan thing, that's a, that's a global thing and it's important for US and other partners we have too. That's what I'm saying. And then that help us that even beyond the withdrawal of US, we don't go, to, go back to 2011. We need to, our United States government or whoever is representing them on the table, negotiation tables, need to bring Afghan people there and then negotiate together, clarify everything uh, we agree together and then, and then make sure we guarantee those agreements beyond that process. That help us because, because whatever beyond the negotiation um, it's up to us how we can um, how we can protect that. If you are if, if you are not on the table, if you don't discuss those details, if if uh, Mr. Khalid or U.S. representative come out, go to Qatar, uh, talk with Taliban, and then after six days he says, "Who oh, here we have an agreement after six days of um, negotiation with Taliban," and I don't know <laughs> what is that agreement. Is it fair? Is it giving us anything tangible that we're going to protect everything beyond 2011? I don't think so. That's what I say. It's, um, yes, exit is something that can happen. I agree with it too. But then our question is we need to make sure how. Very good. Thank you. I'm going to bring in Basim. He's been waiting patiently over here. So, uh, Basim, anything, any additional thoughts you have about this uh, process, things you've noticed, concerns you have? Positive things, uh, uh, frustrations you have. What 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 have what's been your view of this process? I think and uh, the, the the Taliban uh, in these talks at the moment, while well, they have ignored the Afghan state to directly negotiate with us or with the Afghan state, I mean. And and coming back to the U.S., that why suddenly they decided or they're rushing? Uh, Special envoy of the U.S. stated that. All parties, Afghan, par Afghan state, uh, the Taliban, and the U.S. have come to a conclusion that they cannot uh, end this war with military, and they have to solve it diplomatically through political negotiations. We do agree with that, and and, and at the same time, uh, I read a, a tweet from President Trump stating that we have put a lot of pressure on the Taliban uh, through military force and made them to come to the peace negotiations. I think, uh, from from my perspective, that. Uh, I do agree with you that this has turned to one of the longest U.S. wars in its history, uh, but I don't think the U.S. was able to defeat the Taliban who provided the safe heavens uh, to the 9-11 attackers, where thousands of Americans lost their lives, and, and they were not able, even able to completely demolish the active terrorist networks in the region, not as powerful as they were or as active as they were in the past, but there are 20 other, 25 other terrorist networks active in the region at the moment. And as Mitra said, we have lost 45,000 soldiers in the last four years. I don't think they lost their lives only for the Afghans. We are fighting this war for the world, for the allies. You know, If this place has, it turns to be a place again for the terrorists to use it against the West or uh, the region, um, I think uh, will have bad consequences. I think we are fighting, we are at the front line and fighting the terrorists for the world at the moment. Um, I'm sure you have, you have read the article uh, written by uh, 
uh, Dean Crocker, mm -hmm. Ambassador Crocker, yep. uh, in the Washington Post, and he stated that this deal is a surrender. That was, I'm quoting him, he said this deal is a surrender. I can just give you an example. Just last week there was an attack uh, on Kashmir in India, con Kashmir controlled by mm -hmm. India, where more than 25 or 30 uh, Indian soldiers were killed. And, and the bomber uh, who did the, this attack, he recorded the video before uh, conducting this uh, bombing, and he stated that he was inspired to carry out the attack by the news of the American withdrawal from Afghanistan. Yeah. So, uh, so you guys are not out yet, and and then also, uh, and at the same time, I think President Trump had promises to the American people. Your election is also closed. So if you want to have something, you know, it has impact on the U.S. people that President Trump finished another war. But how he finished, I don't think the American uh, people. Uh, I don't know if they will care or not, but I don't think they will understand how bad consequences it will have. Uh, not only for the hard games we had in the last years, but also for the region and all the world. Yeah, I think that's right. Um... Yeah, I don't know how to improve upon that myself. <laughs> um, I did see uh, uh, Ambassador Crocker's piece and uh, intend to actually have a conversation with him. He's visiting uh, Texas A&M in March, and so I'm eager to talk with him about the uh, article. And I'm going to share him share with him our conversation from today once it's posted. Um, and so I'm sure he'll uh, he'll think the conversation is interesting. And he has strong thoughts as well. And there's an agreement, I think, with the with those of you on the ground in Afghanistan, um, that in in some real important ways, this is uh, not only is it a surrender, um, but it's kind of surrender and maybe handing the keys over to the enemies, <laughs> you know, which seems to be um, it seems to not make a lot of sense if you, other than through the lens of trying to score short-term political gains. Um, because otherwise, even if you were wanting to exit the region, you'd want to be really careful and really clever about how you did that so as to not have all the uh, American lives, but also all the Afghanistan lives that are lost as part of this effort, and then just kind of step away from the effort in a way that is emboldening the opposition and emboldening the terrorist groups which just seems so counterproductive to everything that your uh, your country and, and your homeland has been fighting for and my country and my homeland has been fighting for. And in that way, it's, um, it's very unfortunate that this is how, um, that this is how it's playing out. Uh, I just want to add again that, um, about the, about the Taliban. Uh, the biggest issue is that the Taliban has not shown any positive sign to compromise in books with the U.S. and the Afghan political leaders, uh, especially we had a, there was a conference in Moscow, which they, the people were against it, where on ad hoc basis, like political elites and political leaders joined uh, that conference in Moscow, uh, but there was no no sign of compromising, you know, the Taliban, uh, they may show little flexibility, they say we will allow the women to work and to study, but they clearly say, for example, Afghanistan, and uh, I believe their ideology has not changed, and uh, they only remain as a fighting machine for the region, for the neighboring countries, for using them as a, as a tool for their foreign policy. Uh, they are still uh, using 
terror as a tactic, the Taliban. Uh, they are an extremist Islamist group, and I don't see much change in their behavior. I mean, uh, they're, they're still the same, they have the same mentality they had in 2001, and their demands are incompatible with the contemporary Afghanistan, which, which we try to explain to you. And uh, again, I personally don't think that this group will soon change or revise their ideology and accept the, the current realities of this country. Uh, it's very clear from their statements uh, and declarations they had during most of the conference and, and, and videos recorded and published on Facebook. Uh, I see them as a totalitarian, you know, they are still looking for a totalitarian system and they want to run the show and everything. For example, the, uh, in an interview stated that they will not negotiate with the Afghan government until the use withdrawn from Afghanistan. I think uh, uh, who guarantees if you withdraws and then they're going to act based on the framework agreed between Afghan government and the Taliban. And also in one of his talks, for example, the same uh, person or the, the lead negotiator said that they want to abolish the Afghan national security forces and they believe the security forces are uh, foreign puppets, you know. Uh, I don't think uh, any of the citizens, the Afghan citizens, uh, will allow this because it took us 17 years to have uh, the, uh, the Afghan National Security Forces. 2014, 150,000 American soldiers and national forces uh, left this country from Afghanistan in this war at the moment. We lose hundreds of them every day. Uh, as, as many of our uh, political leaders say that they are not only numbers, you know, they're lives fighting for the values uh, for our sovereignty, for our democratic values. Um, also, for example, they're looking, they, they said clearly that they want to rewrite the constitution. Uh, I think um, we have one of the most region, uh, which was uh, ratified in 2004. I don't think this should be an option from our government side that they should come and rewrite it. Yeah, uh, uh, it, it pieces costly. I don't say that we cannot, we can just uh, have this constitution we have, this can be amended, but based on the uh, that the constitution has foreseen in it. And uh, there should be red lines from our side. We cannot just remove everything. They're saying that, oh, we will be a law and sign it laws. Who's going to define this Sharia law? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, they said, oh, so women can work based on the Islamic law uh, no, or based on the Sharia law. Women can go to school based on the Sharia law. But we, I mean, we have to, uh, I have lived under the Taliban, so I know them, you know? Yeah. And given the Taliban dismissal tactic, part about the women rights, human rights, governance, it's hard to believe they will continue uh, with what it's hard to trust them, you know? Writing on a paper is one thing, but, 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 uh, implementing that and uh, is a, a different thing. Just uh, a last example I want to give you is that they have introduced a team of negotiators, you know, uh, their leadership. A team of 10 or 12, all of them are uh, uh, clergy, you know, uh, 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 we call them mullah. Mm -hmm. So we have a very great respect for, for the mullahs that are uh, real mullahs, you know, clergy uh, um, in the mosques that we have. But don't see a politician in it. You know, you don't see a scientist. You don't see a doctor in that list. Everybody is like the same people who only know of Islam. And even in that list, there's a person. His name is Anas Haqqani. And and that guy uh, is one of the masterminds of uh, the terrorist attacks 
where hundreds of Americans were killed because of his plan. Thousands of Afghans, he's sentenced to death, and he's in jail at the moment, in prison in Kabul, but he's also part of the negotiating team. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, and then they're asking our government to release him. Yeah, goodness. Yeah, Mitra, I, I, I couldn't hear you there. What were you saying? Go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying that, and then um, that guy um, is um, in the prison, and they were asking the government to release him, so he'd be able to travel outside of the country and negotiate with the with the, uh, the Americans. And then our question is: so what? What I wanna what I wanna say is, let's not let's not conclude um, our values for a timeline. So President Trump is pushing for this because election is coming, and then I see Mr. Khalizat seeing it as a project to finish the project. And then he was saying the other day that we have our election in three months if it happens. And he's like, we want to uh, come to an agreement with Taliban before the election. So, but then what I'm saying is um, our American friends who, who hear me now, um, they, sh they should make sure to differentiate between exit and then type of the exit they want to make. If... Uh, the, the people we are talking about are terrorist groups. They have killed tons of people. They have violated every single human and democratic values we believe in. Um, and then they do not believe in anything. So all the negotiations they had with the, with the Americans, we unfortunately was not able to hear them and see, and see what, they, what they talked about. But, there was, but the one that happened in Moscow, we saw Taliban. They still believe in the, as as Basim clearly mentioned. They they still believe in the things they they had before. I personally I didn't see any change. They still want me to 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 leave under their regime within the Islamic framework. And my definition of Islamic values are very different than them. Um. So so yes. So I I want to make sure that we do not rush. That we make the um, and then our state and our sovereignty should be respected and, and our values should be represented on the table. Um, they shouldn't say who oh, we're going to protect women's rights, we're going to protect humans' rights, we're going to... But then we need to talk how you want to protect it. If our American uh, taxpayers, um, if, if the President Trump says yes, we talk to them and they're going to respect women's rights and, and, and the laws and human rights, but he's going to make sure what that means to Taliban and what that means to Americans um, and what that means to us. And also we need to make sure um, that the, what, what we get out of this is something sustainable. We, sh we shouldn't sacrifice um, all, all we got in the past 17 years. So, um, and then people who can hear me, if you go to see the list of people uh, Taliban are sending to the table, there is no single woman. And then it clearly shows uh, what what they stand for and what we stand for. Well, um, we're at the hour mark, and uh, I want to be mindful of your time and of the listeners' times. Um, you know, I, I've gotten the chance to interview now uh, two two sets of former students, um, and it's uh, it's always. In the midst of the semester, everything that we do here at the Bush School, you end up tired and uh, and beat down and worn out, as y'all may remember. Um, <laughs> and so it's it's really fun for me and really um, 
uh, I guess, soul warming, for lack of better words, to be able to connect with, uh, with those of you that have left and see the ways in which each of you that I've chatted with in the former student panels are, um, are fighting for these types of values in their communities where they are, fighting for stronger communities, more peaceful communities, more inclusive communities, uh, human rights, uh, basic rights to, to self-govern. Um, and, and for some of the students around in Texas, that plays out in helping uh, a variety of people, but that includes being at the southern border and helping out with migrant refugees. Um, last time we were talking with um, Maggie and uh, Layla and Hazik and the way their stories from the different countries that they came from and uh, the, the struggles that that uh, they've had to deal with with conflict and continue to deal with uh, in their countries with conflict. And, um, and then now this conversation about, you know, the two of you who were not that long ago students of mine are back home and dealing with the realities of war on a day-to-day -day basis and out kind of on the front lines uh, trying to protect your country and trying to protect the people of your country that believe in these values, that believe in uh, human rights and believe in women's rights and believe in the rights to self-governance and uh, to having a say in your future. And uh, for each of you, um, and to different degrees, but significantly for the two of you, you put your own sort of lives at risk um, in ways that, uh, that are different for me in the university here in Texas. And so I'm... Um, you know, I remain uh, quite proud of the two of you and the uh, your voices and the work that you do as part of standing up for some of these values. It's easy for a lot of us to do it here where we have, uh, where we still ha are lucky to have peace at this moment in time. And so um, for those of you listening, um, it's a whole nother, a whole nother world when you can put faces to the stories of conflict and faces to your students who uh, have to return to these situations and Hopefully this conversation informs you at least of some of the issues um, that are on the ground and some of the ways in which, independent of your views about the need for the U.S. to bring so its own soldiers home, the way in which we do that really matters and it has real consequences for respecting our own dead and respecting the dead of those in your country and a hasty exit for political points um, is infuriating and I don't think it's easy for everyone to put a face on that like what your families are having to go with uh, but I'm hoping that you know sharing your voice here in the US and sharing uh, your stories at least plays some role in helping Americans see that there are real consequences for these things for people that are just like them trying to live their own lives and trying to have access to education and uh, and freedom and so Hopefully, um, there's some pushback here on this particular exit strategy um, because there seems to be some really clear ways in which even if exit is the short-term or mid-term goal, that we can do it in a way that helps facilitate peace um, in your homeland. So thank you to both of you for taking the time. Um, this, it means a lot to me that you, uh, that you take the time on your weekend and, uh, and chat with me. And, and uh, maybe we'll find a time to do it again as this unfolds. I'd love to continue checking in with the two of you. I Thank just, you so much. Go ahead, Basim. I just want to say that I, I have just a few last words, you know, on, huh? on, on, on this. Um, uh, peace is costly, but I hope it is not too costly for us. I, I think 
we have to find a way to live together with the Taliban. They are the reality of our society, and we should not forget that they have their followers and supporters within Afghanistan. They have also control over some of the districts and villages in the rural area. Uh, I mean, we believe peace will come to Afghanistan. It is the ultimate desire of, uh, of each and every Afghan living inside or outside Afghanistan, you know, the diaspora. Uh, but it's not that simple that you could bring peace with consultation meetings or negotiations, you know, the way that's happening at the moment. I think the Afghan government, with its international uh, allies, should keep the military pressure and start active diplomacy instead of, like, uh, disparate talks with the Taliban, you know, the U.S. Taliban talks and then the political leaders talks with the Taliban, not the Afghan government, you know. I mean, the, the Taliban should be undermined in the battlefield from a security perspective and their economic whips and knots should be cut. I mean, I can just give you a short example of the uh, FARC in Colombia. And they had an upper hand, as Taliban has at the moment, uh, compared to their government in 1984. So negotiations and fighting went on for years until the Colombian government uh, targeted their financial uh, incomes, you know, or uh, illegal incomes that they had. and and uh, uh, also targeted their bases, you know? And at, at the end, when they felt that they have lost everything, the, the FARC, you know, they came to the government and asked for, for, for peace, you know? Until the Afghan government does not become in a dominant position, you know, in the military and political arena, uh, bringing the Taliban to the peace talks does not appear to be very likely at the moment. That's, that's one of the cases. Uh, the other point that I just want to make that we should not lose this opportunity because America, other international partners, seeing this as a chance. So we have to not lose this opportunity and we have to take steps. I think everybody should be involved in, uh, and especially the Afghan government should be involved. The government is representing me, political leaders, the women, the children, everybody in the state. So uh, peace talk without the government is not useful, you know, and at the same time from the government side, uh, there are disunity inside the, inside Afghanistan, you know, uh, the government should make that consensus, should bring those all political leaders under its umbrella and then represent them or sit with, with, with the Taliban. Uh, the uh, President Ashraf Ghani has asked for a constitutional, for, uh, for a, a consultation in Lois Jirga, which is a, which is the, a council of elders, you know, this is going to take place in the next 20 to 25 days where thousands of elders will come from, from around the country to Kabul and they will talk about the peace. They will raise their voices, they will uh, ask about their, will raise their demands, you know, and women is part of that and I again say that the government should not forget the, the women and 50% of the population, which is the youth, uh, that should be part of it. I mean, and, uh, and the deal should be something acceptable for the Afghan people and at the same time, US and, and NATO withdrawal should be gradual uh, and linked to the capacity of the Afghan security forces in the long run and uh, make sure that there are it's not 100% that the, all Taliban groups will come to peace talks. There will be some that may not come and join the peace talks. So we should have that capacity. And we need the, 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 the NATO and US presence to help us uh, to fight them at, at that time. Uh, and and the, the most important thing, it should not cut the international aid, you know, we need to, even if we come to agreement with the Taliban, we need to receive the international aid, you know, the, the international assistance that we, that was pushed to us until 2020 and 2024. Uh, that should be continued at the moment. And, and final point, uh, a third party, that's what has <clears throat> been uh, around, you know, uh, that a third party should, uh, should guarantee and safeguard the achievements of the past 17 years 
United Nations can, uh, European Union can be a good option here to play as a neutral party uh, to oversee the implementation of the peace agreement between the government and the Taliban in the long run, and then the withdrawal can take place uh, as we go with the peace and, and, and reintegration of the Taliban. And there's so many bits and pieces talks, uh, the disarmament of the Taliban, their reintegration, they have, they don't know anything about fighting, how they're going to cope with the, with the current Afghan people and, and how they're going to live with the society. So the government is also responsible to have then those plans for the Taliban. They're, they will be jobless, how they're going to be integrated with the Afghan national security forces. Uh, and, and our demands as well that they should cut their ties with the with the terrorist networks, they should cut their ties with the intelligence services of the region uh, and should not uh, use our territory again uh, against any other country. So that was the last yeah. point I, I just had for you. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I think a good summary. Uh, I think it's a nice summary of a path forward that we hadn't that we hadn't hit on. So thank you for sharing that, Mitra. Do you have any final words you'd like to share as well? Uh, thank you so much. I don't want to uh, take more of your time. Thank you so much uh, for the platform you gave us and, and this opportunity. I think uh, yes, those are the issues we I, I mentioned before. We need to consider. Uh, we need to. Con we just need to ask our, uh, the question of how we want to do it and, and at what cost. Um, and we shouldn't rush um, on this issue. Thank you so much again. Yes, thank you so much for being here. I will, uh, this will get posted sometime probably early next week. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, hope it, uh, I, hope, uh, I hope it gets some listeners and helps draw attention to some of the, some of the things going on in your country right now. So. It's great to see you both. Thank you for taking the time and hope to see you too.